this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by Prescore. What on earth is a Prescore? Pre stands for personal readiness to exit your company. And here we're looking to evaluate how personally ready you are to leave your company. You know, when you go to sell a business to have a successful exit and look back on it without regret, you need two things. Number one, a company that is attractive to an acquirer, to a company that's built to sell. And number two, you personally need to be ready to exit that business. We found that there are four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit, four ways you can personally ready yourself to exit your business. And by completing your pre-score, you are going to see how you're performing against those four major drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. Just go to prescore.com. You're about to hear from Lori Mullen, who sold Viking trophies just this year. Great little business, and Lori went through an interesting transformation where she started off trying to sell the business to larger, more strategic companies and ultimately sold her business to her general manager. And in so doing, shares her story about how to structure the financing of that. Because, of course, if you're thinking about selling your business to someone internally, they may not have the cash to write you a massive check. They're probably going to have to borrow the money. Lori does a great job of describing how that's possible and some of the terms and conditions thereof. So here is Lori Moen. Lori Moen, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you. Now, you got into this business, Viking Trophies, in kind of a unique way. You didn't start the business. I understand. Bought it. Tell me about that. Yes. Well, um, it was back in 2003, because previous to that, I had been in radio and advertising and leadership for about 25 years, right. and then finally got fired from my last radio station, which gave me the kick to reinvent myself and see what else was out there. And I worked with a friend who was a business broker, and I bought a company. I got to ask you, how did you get fired? Any uh, good stories? We had different leadership philosophies. Okay. What was yours? What was theirs? Well, mine was a little more positive leaning Uh, and recognizing the positive, uh, just different philosophies. As, as I was told it was his ball game and I could either play with his bat and ball or not play at all. Ah, I got it. Okay. And you know, it truly was the best thing that happened because it gave me the courage and it gave me what I needed to move in to a different direction. So 2003, um, you know, I have to ask, so like, you must have gotten a pretty big package to think about buying a company. Like that. A lot of people probably just can't even imagine the idea of buying a business. <laughs> well, like, I didn't get a really big package. Okay. How did you get the money to buy the business, I guess, is the question. Well, I borrowed from the SBA. Now, keep in mind, back in 2003, that's when the SBA was lending. I mean, they lent 90% of the selling price of the business. I mean, they guaranteed that. Those in not in the United States stands for small business administration. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. In in backing loans to make transactions happen in this space. Yeah. Yeah. And so that 
the other 10% came from my home equity. And the, the business had been around since 1969. Wow. So, so what kind of company was it? Trophies? Like trophies, a- awards, and recognition. Great. So the majority of the business was corporate awards. Yes, still a lot of sports trophies and a lot of custom medals. Small company. There were 10 employees. How much revenue were, was it generating? At that time, it was just a little over a million dollars, but it was positive cash flowing. And the broker had showed me how to switch my mindset from being um, an employee to being the boss. What's and the biggest able- change that he recommended or she recommended? <laughs> well, <laughs> the fact that it's not about what my W 2 would now say. You know, in the ta- at the end of the year in the US, as an employee, you get your form that says how much you made. And for 25 years, that's how I had looked at if I was successful or had a good year. And, and the biggest did, mindset, it wasn't that that's not how I would evaluate my success. How would you evaluate your success instead? I would evaluate my success from the financials, from the cash flow, um, the growth of the company. But it, it, was a real, it was a real mindset change for me. And, think, you know, just to wrap my head around it, that was, that was hard at first. Got it. So how, what happened to, in the course of your owning the company, how did the company evolve? Uh, what, what do you see as the biggest sort of evolutions of the business? Well, um, the industry as a whole between 2003 and 2019 went through a lot of changes, a lot of new technology came out, new ways of imprinting, new uh, decorating the the glass, the wood, the acrylic. Um, We also had a recession hit us Mm. in the United States in 2008. And so that required us to contract as far as um, headcount and look at our processes and systems. We stayed profitable. We stayed positive cash flowing. Um, But we felt it because so much of the business was corporate. And so when our big corporate clients had lower sales years, um, or had to look at how they were doing years of service recognition changed, you know, our business changed with it as well. But we moved through that. Right. I'd imagine, you know, the, in a, in a recession, the, the thanks for being an employee for 10 years plaque, mm-hmm. it, it becomes less attractive to invest in. That. It's one of those things you could cut if you really had to cut to the yes. bone. Yes, or you could make smaller, come up with different ways. I mean, employee engagement and retention is so, is so critical. And I won't say that the promotional product recognition industry is recession-proof, but it, it's an expense. It does become a discretionary expense, mm-hmm. and so you have to work harder. Well, how much of a cut did you have to make in, in 2008, like in terms of headcount? Like how, how big was the revenue drop, I guess, is the question. You know, the revenue drop, um, it wasn't a revenue drop so much. It was a revenue stagnation. Hmm. We didn't see a lot of growth. Flattening out. Um, But you still had your rising cost of goods. And so you still had to, you know, I was, you still had to make it work financially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it was more of a streamlining of how we staffed. You know, the awards business is very seasonal. Hmm. Your main season is January to about June. And so you have to find ways to smooth out that seasonality because why is, why, is it, why is it so seasonal? What happens in January through June? You know, um, 
January, February, March, first quarter of the calendar year, you have a lot of corporate awards for the year previous. You have a lot of recognition happening. Yep. You have sports seasons ending. You know, the fall sports, the winter sports, if you have, I mean, and we had a fair amount of that. And then <clears throat> up to June, that's when you have the school year end as well. Right. And so how, you, how big did you get this company before you decided that it was time for you personally to move on? What was the <laughs> catalyst there? Well, it's funny because um, our biggest revenue years started after I stepped out of the day-to-day. -day. <laughs> that's <laughs> always a little bit of a problem. Oh, no, and that's what I told the staff because um, in 2017 is when I promoted the operations manager to general manager and told the staff that they're doing such a great job, they didn't need me there day-to-day. -day. And so I relocated. I still was a remote worker and I still was up to the um, office every month, but they knocked it out of the park. You know, it, you know, I got it to where they didn't need me day to day, where it wasn't all about me. Where were you physically before 2017? Oh, the Viking Trophies itself is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ah, where winter And then I months. moved six months, nine months. Uh, <laughs> it goes from I, winter to mosquito season. Exactly. Back absolutely. to winter. Those exactly. are the two seasons in Minneapolis. As far as so I that's why I said in August of 2017, you don't need me here day to day. Bye-bye. I'm moving to Florida. <laughs> and so what advice would you have? Well, let me ask you a different way. What did you learn in in leaving the company? Because I think a lot of people listening to this have thought about this, right? Have thought about bringing in a 2IC, second in command, general manager. Sure. and yep bugging out. What was the biggest lesson for you in making that transition? Um, for me, it was the fact that I needed to do what I said I was doing, that I was turning the day-to-day -day over to my general manager and to step out of it um, and to not um, be trying to delve back in with the employees, you know, what, what area was most tempting to delve back into Oh, the, the, um, the front end of the business, the sales and marketing end, because mm -hmm. that was what I brought into the business. When I bought it from the original owner, he had come from the production side. His kids weren't interested in it. He knew it needed somebody with sales and marketing to take it to the next level. And that's, that's where I came into it. And there was a production manager there who, then became the general manager, um, that he knew the back end. He knew the production end. So I, I still know, don't know how to put together a trophy. I don't know how to etch a piece of glass, but I didn't need to. And so when he um, took over running the day-to-day, -day, I needed to let go and stay engaged with him, but not with the staff saying, oh, I see you sold this, or oh, what happened here? You know, those kinds of things. But how did you do that when you promoted the guy who was doing the etching, like the, the ops manager? Uh, how did you sort of get him comfortable <laughs> with the sales and marketing piece? Well, he had stepped out of doing all of the processes because he had staff doing all of those. So mm -hmm. he was in a leadership position of the production side of the business. And I just kept involving him more and more with the front. And keep in mind, it's a very small business. So, I mean, everybody knew and did lots of different things. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it was because I brought him in to the front end and involved him and kept having him have FaceTime, if you will, with the front staff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you have salespeople in the company? Yeah, yeah. 
there were um, three uh, showroom staff more inside sales and um, two outside salespeople. Got it. And so what was the trigger that made you want to sell? Because a lot of people would say, this sounds great. You've got a manager in there just running things. You're off in Florida enjoying your life. Like, Why sell, I guess? <laughs> well, because um, I was still involved with the company doing, um, working with some key customers. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't one morning that triggered it. It was the whole plan. Because when I bought the company, I bought myself a job. So I would never be fired again. Hmm. Um, An investment. It wasn't going to be my kid's heritage. You know, I bought it knowing that someday I would sell it. And so it, that was always the plan. And once I did, we did move to Florida and I stepped out of the day today, I realized, yeah, it could be cool. I could just let this go, but I was ready to reinvent myself again. And mm. I couldn't do both two things at once. Got it. And so what steps did you take next? What was the next step when you decided, okay, it's time for me to leave? Well, um, we had, we meaning the uh, general manager and I, he had, um, put together a purchase agreement and he was working on his SBA financing. So I thought at some point you, you went to take the business to market and well, I had, I, and okay. I should back up in, yeah, about about in about 2015, as I was looking at my plan of when I want to sell, mm -hmm. I did start approaching somewhat, some what I thought would be strategic partners that mm -hmm. are, would want to grow by acquisition, um, branding companies, larger promotional product companies, um, some office supply companies that had branched into the promotional products, ones that I could see by them buying biking trophies, they would get not only a sales stream because the revenues were up close to 2 million, but they would also get a production facility. Mm. And so I could see for them how that could be a great acquisition. And so I met with several. They signed NDAs. They went through the books. And Lori, did you engage somebody to represent you in those conversations or did you do those on your own? You know, I was working with a business coach at the time. Okay. And so she reached out and made some of the initial contacts and then we would get together and meet. And did you, did you kind of frame them as, look, I want to sell my trophy business or did you say, let's have a strategic conversation and see what kind of partnership we can create? Um, it was more, you was know, it transparent? It was transparent. I mean, they knew what I was looking for. Which was? Uh, to sell. Okay. To sell the company um, and looking for the right person to buy it. Mm -hmm. And that I had identified them or we, meaning my coach and I, had identified them as ones that this might make sense for them as a line extension. Got it. And so how did those conversations go? You know, it was interesting because the people I was meeting with, the organizations I had earmarked were sales organizations. They were not manufacturing organizations or production organizations. They were sales organizations focused on promotional products, which awards can be a part of, but the coffee mugs, the pens, the corporate apparel, which we did also, that's all turnkey. So they're distributors of that. So they are truly sales organizations. And what I realized after meeting with several of them is the they weren't able to maybe understand the benefit of having some production capabilities in-house, you know, not sure how they would work with the operation side hmm. where to me, I would explain it as this would allow you to work with customers or 
companies that needed a shorter run of products, you know, smaller amounts of awards that the promotional product companies don't necessarily encourage, if you will, or somebody that needed something with a quicker turn. You can do it right there. Mm -hmm. So they weren't interested in that. They want to do 60,000 golf balls and 100,000. Yeah, yeah. and not have to touch it and not have to touch any of the production of it. Mm -hmm. as, as sales and marketing people. And so those conversations, did, you, did they ever get serious? Did anybody sort of put a price in front no, of you? Or? No, no. I had had the company evaluated. I sort of knew a price. What did you think um, it was worth roughly? I was, th well, um, I was told it was worth roughly maybe 500000 and I was planning to sell it for seven hundred. And so what was the basis for the $500,000 valuation and your $700,000 valuation? What was that? Well, you know, that desire of what I need out of it or want out of it. Okay. Um, and, but as years passed, that initial valuation was done in 20, 2014. Got so it. we did grow in value because I made changes and ch made changes in my bookkeeping, um, you know, took out my owner discretionary things out of the books. Maybe you know, talk a little bit about that. What do you mean my owner discretionary things, taking them out of the books? Well, I, I never ran the company as my own ATM. I mean, business owners can. Um, I tried to keep my, I didn't run everything through the company. Right. But I did all run all your personal expenses. Exactly. Like absolutely. Absolutely. Cars and all that stuff. Right. 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 But there were things that I ran through that were not necessarily expenses that a new owner would have. Such as? Such as um, my health insurance. Um, such because the whole family was on it. Mm -hmm. um, my family a phone plan. Um, you know, different things like that. So I you know, built my books to have that secondary line of um, owner discretionary expenses. I was taking some training at the time for my next evolution of life and that continuing education a new owner wouldn't have, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Just in order to demonstrate and show how you buy the company, you're taking on debt to buy it, but it will run for you. You will have the cash flow to pay that service, that debt and still make a living for yourself. Right. And that's, did you, at what point did, because originally you, you thought it would be a strategic buyer, a big promotional yeah. product yeah. company. It sounds like at some point that changed. <laughs> it did change. Tell me about uh, what, what, what changed well, there? It changed in um, December of, I think it was 2015. It might've been 2016 when my um, operations manager came to me and said he wanted to, he gave me his notice because he said he wanted to start his own awards and promotional product company. And I said to him, why start your own? Why not just buy Viking trophies? Before you go there, um, I'm assuming there was some, how, how did it feel when he gave you that resignation letter? What was your first reaction? Well, I don't want to use profanity on this, <laughs> on this interview, but it was like, uh-oh, um, because he was a key employee, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, and so there was sadness and a little bit of um, how come I didn't see this coming? Mm -hmm. You know, wh what was I, what signs were I missing? Mm -hmm. You know, he had been at the company since 1988. Wow. 
Yeah, so he had started there very young, in the back end, part-time assembler, and worked his way up. Mm -hmm. um, and so he was feeling, you know, I think when I bought the company, I don't think he was necessarily ready to buy it. Mm -hmm. But the original owner, I don't think ever even thought of him as a viable candidate. Right, right. And so I, I, before we get into the, the, the conversation you had next, I just want to go back to valuation for a second. So um, you got a value of 500000 You thought it was worth seven. What, what was... What were the valuation techniques they were using? Was it a multiple of your profit or um, revenue? Yeah. Or, yeah. It was not um, an official business valuation, I don't think. Kind of a back of a napkin thing? Yeah, it was working with my accountant. I had put together for myself at the time an advisory board mm -hmm. that included several people from different walks of life that I had just asked or been connected to to volunteer to be on a, this like board of directors for me on a volunteer basis because um, I wanted that guidance as I was looking at bringing the business ready to sell. And so I'd had my accounting company do sort of a small evaluation, if you will. And they did, you know, that the NAIC code for trophy and awards shop mm. doesn't really exist. It falls into the general retail which is it's so it's hard to find good comps good multiples or things like that so it was i think it was harder for them when they explained what they were looking at as comparable companies yeah 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 i'll just speak directly to my audience you, whatever business you're in you're in this NAICS code system north american industry classification can't remember the acronym it stands for but it's a NAICS code and there are two four and six digit NAICS codes in fact there are actually I believe three and five, but if you know your next code, uh, you can, you can benchmark yourself a little bit closer, but sometimes it's, uh, it's only at a two digit, which is a very vague, you know, like retail versus manufacturing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where, yeah. you can get down to get a comparable at a four or six digit. You can get a, a more, a more accurate comparable, but you weren't able to do that. Right. Um, so again, I'm assuming it was sort of a multiple of your pre-tax profit then yes, or your SD, yeah. seller's discretionary earnings? That, that yeah, you know, I think it was against revenue. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm trying to remember actually because it was, it was a multiple and it was against um, pre-tax profit. So I'm guessing your pre-tax profit was, was around two or 300,000. Was that? Was no, that it, been, was less than, it was less than that. Yeah. And so I'd be curious to know what oh, wait, 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 wait. profit. You know, I apologize. I'd have to look back and see. Because yeah. Okay. It was a machination of math. Um that, you know, as as the owner of the company, I didn't feel gave good credit to the fact that ninety percent of our business repeats every year. Um, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So let's now flash ahead to two thousand sixteen. So your ops manager says, Lori, it's been great, but I'm going out and to become a competitor. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How did you convince him to buy the business? What was the next step? Well, you know, by that time, think of it. When somebody comes ready to resign, they've thought it out, they've made their decision, mm -hmm. and they're ready to move in the next direction. So when I hit him with the idea of, why don't you just buy Viking trophies, it sort of took him aback. 
um, it, he had to pause. And so I said, take the rest of the week off and think about it because I know you've already, he'd already come up with a name for his company and whatnot. And mm -hmm. he was thinking ahead. I said, but why start from scratch? Would you could buy this company, you know, the business, you know, our clientele, um, these mm -hmm. clients of clients of ours since 1969, some of them, you know, why, why recreate the wheel? Yeah. Yeah. So I gave him a few days to just think about it. And then we started talking and I told him what, um, what I wanted to get for it and how to get for it. And, and, and then we started from there. What did you want for it? Were you still on the 700 number? I was at the 700 number, 650, yep. 700. Okay. Um, and then it was the process of, um, him finding his group of advisors and to start finding the financing and whatnot and to put his head around it and to put together the purchase agreement and work through that. So he had been a salaried employee with you oh, yeah. since the eighties. Yep. The obvious question is like, where is he going to get 650 grand to buy this uh -huh. business? It seems like exactly. a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what the SBA, that's what the small business administration is for. You know, he was a similar kind of buyer as I was where he wanted to, uh, buy it for himself as a job, as a lifestyle, as a financial investment. Mm -hmm. And so he went to the banks and he has his own equity and, and did it very similar to the way I did it. So he pulled together some, some debt personally through his, mm -hmm. again, I, 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 you know, with the SBA, we've got listeners outside of America, so they wouldn't maybe know. How does it work when you do an SBA loan? Are you personally guaranteeing that loan? or is No, the federal government is guaranteeing the loan to the bank. Okay, so the bank's sort of set up. They're, they're, yes. you know, they're, they're, yes. And so what sort of interest rate would you be charged by the bank if, I mean, I'm assuming it's a relatively low interest rate if they know that they're, that the guaranteed. loan is guaranteed. Yeah. Um, it's generally, it's been two points over prime. Oh, wow. So, the, so good. Yeah, yeah. And then it gets recalculated every three months. Okay. So what portion of the deal would you be able to borrow from the SBA? Typically? Well, um, now keep in mind when I bought it, I was able to borrow 90%. Wow. Yeah. And, or they guaranteed 90% of the price. I had to come up with 10%. The seller didn't have to come up with any seller financing. Mm. The seller had no skin in the game. Now you fast forward, you know, through the recession, you fast forward to now and the maximum, the, um, small business administration that the government will guarantee is 75%. 75%. Okay. And so the seller has to come up with 25%, but actually um, the, I'm sorry, the buyer has to come up with their down payment, but the seller has to finance some of it also. I had to finance about 20%. Okay. So I have seller financing and the government, the bank does not allow the buyer to pay on the principal of that seller financing for 24 months. Interest can accrue, but the buyer can't pay on the principal. Got it. Okay. So just following the math here. So it's roughly 650 grand, 75% of which the SBA will, will guarantee. guarantee or the bank will lend with the guarantee of the SBA. 20% of which you personally are lending yeah. to the yes. buyer. Yeah. I, I'm assuming 5% would be his skin of the game then his, his, the money. He's yeah. Raised. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. 
What kind of interest rates do you charge if you personally are going to lend 20% of that money? That's 120 grand or something like that. What, what sort of interest rate are you charging for that? I'm charging 8%. 8%. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that accumulates over the 24 months uh, mm-hmm. that he can't start paying you back? He can't start paying principal back. He can make interest-only payments. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. And he is choosing to do that because it saves him money. Right. The 8%. Yeah. Okay. So he's paying just the interest rate at, yeah. at this point. And, and what is your recourse, Lori, if, if two years go by and he, and he can't, he can't start paying you back? Well, um, I am, you know, in a position on his assets, mm-hmm. but I'm below the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that mean practically? What would happen? Well, it means that if there was an issue, I'd be the furthest one down in the line to get any money. I mean, so I, I had to sort of look at that 20% as um, money that's not in jeopardy, but it's a risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, go ahead. Now, I, I will say, because he and I had two years of him running it day to day, I don't feel that is at risk like I would have two years ago. Mm, yeah. And, and for him, you know, was, did he ever say, Lori, like, I, I get it that you want me to buy your company, but, you know, why do I, you know, I know all the clients. I know how the machines work. You know, why do I need to buy your business? I'll just go out and compete with you. Did he ever kind of come back to you with that? No, no. You know, and I, part of it is because of the reputation the company has in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Um, and the solid nature we have with our customers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the customers stayed with the company, stayed with Viking trophies, even once the original owner sold it and I bought it. Lori, one of the things that strikes me as amazing is that you had the presence of mind when, when your general manager came in to, to resign, you had the presence of mind to kind of turn that on its ear and say, why don't you buy the company? In the back of your mind, were you already sort of planning to ask him to buy Um, that part of your strategy? You know, in the back of my mind, I knew if he was interested (laughs) that it might, you know, it would work because of his knowledge base and his years with the company, his knowledge of the industry um, that he, you know, but I wasn't, we had not had a conversation of, would you ever want to buy the company? I mean, the staff always knew because I was always candid, you know, what my background was and what, how I came to own this company and that at some time I would sell it. Mm. They knew that, didn't know when that time would be, but they knew that because that was the life of this company. Um, but I think because he and I hadn't had conversations on the timing of that, uh, that's probably where he was getting a little... I don't want to say anxious, but thinking, okay, I'm ready to evolve in my next step. And that's owning a company like this. So I guess I'm going to go do my own. What was it about the fact that you had bought the company that made it obvious that you would want to sell it? The, um, and that, because some people are very hesitant to let their employees know they're, they're thinking of selling or whatever, consider selling. It's you know, a taboo topic. Why, why was the fact that you bought it giving you the green light to talk about it sort of publicly? Well, I guess because that's, that was, that's what I went into it for. I didn't go into it to become a family business 
that would get passed down to my kids or have them take it over. It was what I was doing now. Um, and it was something I was wanting to grow and see it grow as an investment. Um, but I guess because that was my mindset going in. Now, I didn't trumpet the fact to the employees, but when they would ask, and especially new employees wanting to learn about how I came into it, mm -hmm. because they would ask, did you know the previous owner? And it's like, no, and I knew nothing about the industry, you know, but here's how I came into it. If you'd had that negotiation to do over with your general manager, uh, wherein uh, you guys struck a deal that, that sounds like it worked for him, what might you do differently? Um, I would have had it maybe be more formal, uh, not more formal. We did so much of it ourselves. We did so much of the purchase agreement language ourselves mm -hmm. um, and then ran it by both our lawyers. To, um, you know, I think it might have been a uh, cleaner or more satisfying process, not feeling so helter-skelter at times if there had been somebody in charge. I'm not saying a maybe a broker even, you know, just for some of the loose ends mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily know you need to be taken care of. Um, you know, there were times when his bank was saying, oh, we need this now. And they'd come to me and, it, you know, it wasn't as streamlined as I think it could be, which is why I think it took longer to get across the finish line. Were you ever tempted to take the business to market and see what you could get for it in the public? Uh, and obviously after 2015. Um, no, I really wasn't. And, and part of that is just my personality and, and, and knowing he, that the legacy of the company would continue strong. Um, and if I would it have gotten more money on the open market, maybe, but I was comfortable with what I, I was pleased with how I had grown it and what it had given me and the investment that I had was getting back. Yeah, I'd be curious to know, have, have you sat down to measure the, like, what was the financial return you were able to achieve? No, what, what I haven't. No, I really didn't because I, and I haven't, because it gave me um, 16 years of a great life, a great lifestyle, great income. Um, and obviously, well, not obviously, I'm selling it for more than I bought it for. So, you know, it, when you add all that up, it was a great investment. Mm -hmm. But now keep in mind, it's not my only retirement investment either because I had 25 years in corporate. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a, I think that gives a different perspective than perhaps a founder of a company where they've founded their company and this company is it. I mean, that is their retirement. That how, is their future. How did your compensation during the years that you owned Viking trophies, how was your compensation, how would you compare your compensation to what it was in, in, in your final three years in radio? I mean, we, did you take a salary cut or was it sort of comparable or? Um, I took a salary, oh, total salary cut because, you know, the goal, the goal is to, you know, minimize your taxes. And so mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. take as small a salary as you can and you pay the rest through um, interest or dividends, you know, tax on the dividends. Yeah, maybe I should have been, I, I didn't ask the right question. I meant, I guess I get, I meant like kind of personal compensation in whatever form. How did it oh. compare as the owner of a trophy company compared to the general manager of a radio station? Um, I was a general sales manager and it was 
he was the same or better. As the Viking Trophy owner? Oh, no, no, no. Viking Trophy owner was the same or better than a general sales manager I of see. a major market radio station. Got it. Okay, mm -hmm. got mm -hmm. it. So you didn't take a pay cut for 18 years to run this? No, 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 no. It was a sort of... Uh, oh, yeah. Deal. Got it. Okay, that's super helpful. Um, tell me what you're up to now. Well, <laughs> so I've been a small business owner. I know how hard it is to be a small business owner, to be pulled and reacting to clients, employees, vendors, oh, we're out of paper towel, you know, all those things, get your heads in the weeds and you pop up and realize we're not going in the direction I want to go in. Um, and so from after working with a business coach that helped me work on the business, understand through doing a value builder assessment, getting this business ready to sell, I became certified as a business coach and a value builder advisor because small business owners need, you know, sometimes small business owners need a boss, you know, we're yeah. the, we're the owner, so we don't have a boss. And you know what? It's great, but sometimes you need a boss. So happy to have you as part of our community. Where, uh, where can people find you, Lori, if, if they wanted to find you on LinkedIn or is there a website you want to point to? Um, people to or I'm on LinkedIn. It's Lori Moen, L-O-R-I-M-O-E-N. The name of my company is Catalyst Group ECR. I do executive coaching and business owner roundtables. Awesome. So up on LinkedIn, you will find yes. Lori. Lori, yep. thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L 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 Thanks for listening.